huddled together in that crowd, gathered an audience for Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit began to preach the very first Christian sermon in the maturity of the preaching. And then in the conclusion, when there was a response to that message, we have the miracle of the church. So today we'll uh, uh, continue to look at that miracle of communication and we'll look at the response, the response to the fact that people were hearing uneducated Galileans preaching the wonderful works of God in their native language. They were able to hear the gospel in languages uh, that the speakers had never learned and never studied. It was a miracle of communication. God's power to exploit his word, to communicate the wonderful works of God in a way that could be understood. And today we see that they responded two different ways. Some wanted to know more. What can this mean? And others respond. So today we'll look at the response to the miracle of communication. And to set it in its context, I'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1, and read through uh, the 15th verse of Acts chapter 2. Acts, the second chapter, the word of the Lord says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelt in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who are in the Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So today we will look at the response to the miracle of communication, and we will see Peter's response, initial response, to the mocking. Let's pray together. Dear God, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, we stand before your word acknowledging that it is perfect, that it is without error, that it is sufficient, and that we, through your word, can be equipped so that your word can equip us to endure and to persevere trials and to navigate difficult days. Your word can enable and empower us to have have peace and to have hope and to live in ways that we need to live and to live in ways that are pleasing to you. God, we recognize
Imagine the work that took to do our streets and move back there. God, we pray that you give today. Just help us to walk out that mission. Help us to seek you, search your word, and discover principles that we can apply to our lives that we might seek Jesus and you might be glorified in our lives. So, Lord, we recognize the perfection of your word and the imperfection of our own God, we recognize our need to continue to seek and to apply and to help us know and understand and walk towards you. So that the Spirit moving towards the light can be directed towards the dark. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. So we have seen how God in his providence brings the fulfillment to preach the Pentecost on a on a day when people had traveled all the way from uh, day Iran, all the way to Rome, and everything in between, with converts from Asia, uh, Europe, and Africa, they had all gathered in Jerusalem for the observance of the Feast of Pentecost, which in God's gracious providence happens to be the, the first day of the church. All of those people from all of those different lands were able to hear the gospel and the wonderful works of God in the languages in which they had, uh, they had learned from birth, and they all came together. As the Holy Spirit came upon those 120 believers, the Holy Spirit empowered those men and women to speak the truth, to speak the gospel in languages that people could understand. It was a miracle of communication. And the coming of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by sound. It was announced by sound. There was the sound as of a rushing mighty wind filling the house where they were sitting. And so there was the sound of wind, and yet there was no feeling of wind. It was an, a miraculous occurrence. It was something that was unusual. Uh, the sound of a hurricane and yet no feeling. It was simply the sound. And then there was the sight, the, the tongue of fire that divided and rested on each of them. And then there was the activity of the people, the 120 believers, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, languages they had, that they had never learned as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So that sound drew a crowd. People were wondering, is this sound? And then, you know, it was probably a pretty, pretty effective event. And uh, they were there for the observance of the Feast of, of Pentecost. It was to be a great festival, a great celebration. But, you know, the religion of the, of the day was very formal and very ritualized. And it was a feast and it was a celebration. And yet, uh, the activities were prescribed. No, it was would go to the temple, they would make sacrifices, and there was a lot of ritual, a lot of ceremony, a lot of solemn penances, and everything, all of their actions were prescribed, were outlined for them, and it was uh, ritual, it was tradition, it was regular, and there were lots of rules and regulations, and the, the religion was mediated to them by the priest. There was not a lot of excitement, there was not a lot of spontaneity, it was all ritual and feasting, and they had done this dozens of times before, and all of a sudden, there was something different. There was this noise, and there was this activity, and all of a sudden, things were different. All the people who came into Jerusalem for the Feast of, of Pentecost, those uh, who lived within 20 miles came every year and came three times a year, and those from those other places, they had come, they had never seen anything like this. They had never heard anything like this. And so they came together to see 
what the Lord and what the activity uh, was all about. And so they all came together, and when they came together, there was this miracle of communication. They heard, they heard the gospel. They heard the wonderful works of God being spoken in a language that they could understand, a language that they had learned from time to time again. Now, all of these people were probably, they're all devout Jews, as we see in verse 5. They're devout Jews. Even though they live in every other nation under heaven, they, uh, they were born in other lands. Talk about that last week with excursions. And yet, they would have been instructed in Hebrew so they could read the Old Testament. They were devout Jews, and they would also probably know Hebrew. And so, these people would be bilingual. They would understand Hebrew to read their Old Testament, Aramaic, was the common language that was spoken in that region of the world, and then they, whatever language of the land in which they were today. And so they came together, and they heard the wonderful works of God in the language in which they were most familiar. They knew enough Hebrew to read the Old Testament. They knew enough Aramaic to get around Jerusalem, so they were most comfortable with their native tongue, and that's the tongue in which they heard the wonderful works of God. We talked about last week that that's still the mission of the church. It's the mission of the church to proclaim the wonderful works of God, to proclaim that God is the creator. God has created all that there is from nothing. He created and every single thing in all of creation in some way or another declares the glory of God. God's glory is revealed in every single thing that he has made. Every single thing in the universe declares God's glory. And God created to show his power and his majesty and might and order and design and beauty and perfection. All of these things declare the glory of God. And, it, and, the, and the crown jewel of creation is, 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 is people, mankind, humankind. God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. He created humans in his own image so that they could know him and so that they could reflect and manifest his glory in a more profound way than all of the other things in creation. God created to declare his glory, and yet um, man, human beings, fell into sin, rebelled against God, and deserving nothing from him but his wrath. God re- re- reveals his glory in what he made, and, and instead of worshiping the creator that's revealed in what he made, human people worship the creation instead of the creator. And so God's mighty works are shown in creation, but God's mighty works are also shown in, in redemption. God created humans in his own image so that he helped the humans all humans sinned and fell into a, a condition of misery and sin. And it is necessary for God to redeem his people from their sin. And God's wonderful works are shown in redemption. And that's the, the, the main gist of Peter's sermon that will break out in weeks to come as we look at the miracle of preaching and we look at, at Peter declaring the wonderful works of God through redemption. And certainly as the 120 were speaking as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, they were speaking about God's work of redemption, that God became a man and lived a sinless life in Christ Jesus. And he died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who would ever come to him in repentance and faith. And then God raised Jesus from the dead to show that sacrifice was acceptable. Now, 
Uh, now God has commanded that they repent and trust in Jesus and Him alone for salvation and the, the, the mighty work of redemption. God accomplishing in Christ Jesus all that is required for such sinful people to redeem His people to Himself. And so they are declaring these wonderful works. And that's still the mission of the church. That's still the job of the church, to declare the wonderful works of God, to declare those wonderful works and the power of the Holy Spirit so that people can understand them. That's the mission of the church. And that's what these folks were doing at the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost. They were declaring the wonderful works of God, and all of these people from every nation under heaven were hearing the gospel, the wonderful works of God, in their own language. It was a miracle of communication. And we also see in this text, we see their response. And you see, uh, you see several times they talk about the response. They, verse 6, they were confused. Verse 7, they were amazed and marveled. And it goes on down in uh, uh, verse, verse 12, amazed and perplexed. And then we see another response in verse 13, the response of mockery. And so the response, so they never heard anything like this before. Nothing like this had ever happened. You know, their religion was very regimented, very traditional. Uh, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to stand up, when they were supposed to uh, offer a sacrifice, when they were supposed to say a prayer, and the prayers were memorized and recited. And uh, all, everything was prescribed. There was not a lot of excitement and not a lot of spontaneity. And now all of a sudden there's this hectic time where there's 120 people that are all speaking different languages, and all these people are able to hear the gospel in their own language. It's, it's, it's very hectic, and nothing like this had ever happened before. And their first response was to be amazed, to be surprised. When they came to the Feast of Pentecost, they didn't expect anything like this. They expected to wait in a long, long line, offer their sacrifice, have their feast and their festival, and say their prayers and go their way. And so this happened. They hear this sound like a hurricane, and yet feel no breeze. And then they see 120 people all speaking in different languages, and yet everybody gathered hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. They were amazed. They were surprised. They were astonished. This was not something that they were expecting. And so um, the reaction we see is amazement, and then uh, there is perplexity. They're, they're marveled. In verse 12, they're perplexed. They'd never seen anything like this before. Nothing like this had ever happened. And so they had no testimony, no experience to, to look inside of their hearts and see, well, what do we do about this? Well, this has never happened to us before. We've never seen anything like it, and so we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to do. We don't have any experience or no instruction. Nobody's ever told us how to respond to this kind of event. So they are perplexed. They don't know what to do. And so when this miracle of communication occurred, when the Holy Spirit came on the 120 believers for their purpose and enabled them to speak the wonderful works of God in languages that they had never learned, the people were amazed by that, and they didn't know how to respond. They were shocked at also their, uh, the words that they translated. They were perplexed. They, they didn't know what to do and how to respond to this. And so those reactions led to two different responses. There were those who said, what could this mean? There are those who want to know more. 
They don't know what to see. They don't know what to respond. But they want an interpretation. They want an understanding. They want somebody to explain to them what it is. They want to know more. They want more information. And they're asking Jesus, what can this be? What can this be about? So there were those that were open-minded and had an open heart about what was uh, happening and wanted an explanation. And so that was the audience for Jesus. And so there are those who want to know more, saying to one another, what could this mean, asking for more information. And in verse 13, others were mocking. Others were mocking, and they said they are full of new wine. So there's, but there are those who don't understand what's going on. They don't know how to respond, and they respond to what they don't understand by making fun. And notice, by making fun, they're not attacking what is being said. They're not attacking the content of the communication. They're not questioning the wonderful works of God, but they go straight to the character of the speaker. They mock them and say, you are a bunch of drunks. They are full of new wine. And, uh, and, and this would be a character assassination in that particular culture. And Peter says, no, it's between 9 o'clock in the morning. And 9 o'clock in the morning is the third hour. And by the way, they made the time. That would be 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock in the morning is the time for the morning sacrifice, the morning prayer. And this was a holiday, a special day. And, and, and those devout practicing Jews would eat or drink before the morning prayers, the morning sacrifice, especially on a holy day like Pentecost. And so they were attacking them as a bunch of drunks that, uh, you know, in, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Isaiah, the book of Amos talks about those who lay, who lay awake at night uh, waiting for something to drink. And the first thing in the morning they do is get up and drink. And, uh, and those people would be hopelessly addicted to alcohol and be alcoholics, be drunks. And so they're saying that you wake up before 9 o'clock in the morning, before morning prayers, before uh, the sacrifice, especially on the day of Pentecost, you are a drunk. And so this is an attack of their character. They're not questioning the content of their speech, but they're attacking the person who is speaking. And in our culture, we call that an ad hominem attack, going to the man, attacking the person who is speaking instead of the ideas or the issues or the content of the speech. And so this was mocking, attacking their character. And so we see two responses. There are those who want to know more, who are questioning. What, what could this be? We need more information. We, we'd like for you to instruct us how to respond to this. And then the others were just a mocking and making fun, an attack of the character. And... Uh, so we, we see that response, and, and you know what? Today, the mission of the church is to see people declare the wonderful works of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God, the exclusivity of Jesus. The, the goal of the church is the same, to declare the wonderful works of God, the truth of the gospel, and to preach the Bible. And when we preach the Bible, we can expect those responses. We can expect some to want to know more. What can this mean? Tell us more. We can also expect to be mocked. Today in our culture, if you hold to a biblical worldview, you can expect the hostility of the world. If you, if you hold 
to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one can come to the Father but through Him, you can expect the world to mock you and call you intolerant and old-fashioned and primitive and uh, uh, narrow-minded. If you hold to a biblical worldview and you believe uh, what the Bible tells us about creation, you might be mocked as one who denies science. If you hold to a biblical worldview and you believe what the Bible teaches about uh, sexuality, you might be called intolerant or old-fashioned or or bigoted or homophobic. If you believe what the Bible teaches about complementarianism, about men and women uh, created equally in the image of God, Chose by God, empowered, gifted by the Holy Spirit, and yet having different complementary roles in the family, in the church, in the society, you might be called misogynist or a a uh, uh, a woman hater. If you believe that human life is sacred from the moment of conception, you'll be called anti woman, hostile to women. a biblical worldview, you can expect to be mocked. You can expect that our culture that is increasingly hostile to God and His truth, you can expect to be mocked. But as I mentioned, we serve a wonderful working God. He's not compromised His truth. He's not compromised His love. And we can expect a hostile culture to mock those who are faithful to tell us the wonderful work exactly what happened to this church. There were some who were mocking them. They're not going to, they're not, not going to attack the, the content. They're not going to attack the ideas. They attack the person. They go after the character that causes them to have soft spots. But you can expect to be mocked. And how does Peter respond to the mockery? Verse 14. Peter stands up. He stands up with the eleven. So Matthias, the, the others, are standing with him, testifying to the truth of what he's about to say. He raises his voice because he has something very important to say to them, and he say, says to them, and this word is a heavy word, meaning an important announcement, an important proclamation, and it's actually the same word that is given in verse 4 where the 120 were speaking as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now Peter stands up and he speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he delivers the first this sermon. And all of this activity, they gathered together to Christ. They heard the wind, they saw the fire, they heard all of the people speaking in different languages. And they've all gathered together, and now they have the audience for the first Christian sermon. Some want to know more. Some are simply mocking. And the first thing that Peter does is he answers the mockery. He answers the mockery. He stands, he raises his voice, and he says, Men of Judah, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words. Pay attention. This is important. This is an important situation. This is truth. And he addresses the mockery directly. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Nine o'clock in the morning. So this allegation is not only a 
this church knows practically devout Jewish persons who had consumed alcoholic beverages before the morning prayers and the morning sacrifice, especially on a day, the day of Pentecost. Jesus fasting until 9 o'clock to use open prayers. The first meal would be at 10 o'clock. The main meal of the feast would be the sixth hour noon, and that would be the first time that anybody who would consume wine, alcoholic beverages, would be the main meal of the day. And there may even be some humor there. Peter might be saying, uh, it's only 9 o'clock. You want to see people filled with wine? You come back after noon. You come back at 3 o'clock, and you might see that. But at 9 o'clock, no. And so he addresses, he directly addresses the accusation. And he doesn't disrespect. He does not
people found this the same response that the believers did on the day of Pentecost. Some want to know more, and some not. And Peter's response, and this response will also happen later in Acts chapter 2, but Peter's response would be in verse 34, how that some men joined them believed. So when we declare the wonderful works of God, we can expect three responses. Some want to know more, a theory later on this. Some will mock, and some will repent and believe. So there's three responses, and you can expect them. And they're all valid and contradictory. Information. God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. He is responsible for the results. So we expect some want to know more, some will mock, and some will repent and believe. But look at Paul. Verse 32, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you on this matter. So Paul commanded the Acts chapter 2, how does Peter respond to the mocking threat? How does Paul respond to the mocking? He departs from among them. And so, two times, the word mocking is used in the New Testament, and two times, the of the crew responds differently. Peter answers the mocking. Paul does not. Paul departs. So what do we we do when we're mocked? Do we follow the example of Peter or do we follow the example of Paul? The mocking? Or do we depart from among them? Uh, The answer is yes. And it is a matter of wisdom. Situation, circumstances. When I think of the two responses to the mocking, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. If you got if you can turn to there, Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26, verse four. Proverbs chapter 26, verse four says, "Do not." A fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Do not answer a fool in his folly, lest you also be like him. Alright, look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Alright, so Proverbs 4, don't answer a fool in his folly. That's what Paul did. Paul didn't answer the mocking, he simply departed. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly. That's what Peter did. Peter addressed the folly. So, if we're faithful in proclaiming the wonderful works of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can expect that some want to know more, some mock, some will believe. How do we respond to the mocking? Do we answer? Do we depart? And again, that is a matter of Depending on the So let's break out those, those Proverbs passages. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. So Solomon is saying, if someone mocks you, if someone speaks to you foolishly, don't be like him. Don't respond in the same way. If someone issues an ad hominem attack 
and she wants those to the past and the present present to the nature if you're having a conversation with someone and they don't talk about the issues they don't talk about the truth they don't talk about the content of the speech but they attack your future and they are insulting and mocking and abusive and untrue and slanderous Paul is saying don't go down to that level don't be like them don't respond to insults with insults don't respond to abuse with abusive speech don't respond to mocking with mocking don't be the fool. If you're going to answer mocking, don't answer in such a way that you are becoming like that. Don't go to their level. Don't speak to them. Don't engage in foolish abuses. This this uh, unconstructed speech. So, don't answer a fool according to his folly, because that means do you wrong. But then Solomon also says there are times that fool must be avoided. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So sometimes we can't be silent. We can't let them think that they that they are stupid. And, and so Peter, I said, Peter got Peter, Peter says that they think we're drunk. Well, they're not. We're not. And, and that needs to be corrected. We need to talk about the issue, the accusation, the content of their speech, but not go after the speaker, the character of the speaker. Do you see the difference? And so sometimes the, the error must be corrected. Falsehood must be confronted with the truth. And, and so we can't allow foolish people to be wise in their own eyes, and so there are times when that speaker needs to be answered, such is the case in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 17, see this? Paul had already shared the gospel with the people in Athens. He had declared to them the resurrection. And in Acts 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, Paul had with God about God God not being worshipped by things of man's hand, but in him we live and move and have our being. And he sent Jesus who was going to judge the world. And he showed that he's going to judge the world by Jesus, by raising Jesus from the dead. And the content, the gospel, was what was mocked. And so Paul, in his wisdom, determined that he is not going to go what is holy to dogs. He is not going to cast his tails before swine. He's given them the gospel. They've rejected the gospel. They've mocked the gospel. And so Paul wipes the dust of Athens off of his feet and goes to Corinth, where he has very productive and fruitful ministry relationships. But the difference is Paul shared the gospel with them. It's actually the gospel that is being mocked. And so Paul departs from among them, wiping the dust off his feet, and being set free to go and preach the gospel to them. Acts chapter 2, Peter had not yet shared the gospel with them. Any character of the believers that is being mocked is not the truth of the gospel. And so Peter uses that mocking as an opportunity, as a bridge, as an open door to the fact that the aggressive accusation what is really happening and point to Jesus and then break that out and give them a foundation of what's really happening. 
third point for us today is answering Martin Luther's matter of discipline. A matter of discipline concerning his judgment. There's times when the thing to do is to walk away. Right? The best I can do to share share the truth and share the gospel, that's not to be rejected as mocked by Jesus and his disciples. The best I can do is to go to another place. To go and share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. But then there's also a time for hypocrisy. Well, I trust the preacher, I trust the preacher. But no, the preacher is either the correct, either the respectful, of the mockers and simply attack the accusation and issue and content of their speech, not the speaker. And so on days when we are called to use that mocking as an opportunity for the weight of the gospel, the force of the gospel, we need to recommit to saying, thank you, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to speak the truth because it didn't please the crowd. Simply because it's just insults and insults and it's just not worth it. Right? And that's what Peter is. He's direct, he is respectful, he is gentle, he is confronts the accusation and moves to the truth and moves to the gospel. And so uh, when we are forced to answer a who of the scholars, let's be wise in our minds to do it with gentleness and respect as we speak the truth understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have faith so that I can move a mountain, but I don't have love. I have nothing. And even if I give all of my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned in the flames and have not love, it profits me nothing. The temptation when we're mocked is to go to the character of the resort to calling names and attacking the character, attacking the speaker, being abusive and insulting. We've got to warn ourselves against that temptation. Don't be like Peter. Don't be like the mockers. Speak the truth. Presence and the power of God in all of the Bible. It's 
God comes on 120 people, men and women, 120 believers. He comes to the sound of a hurricane and yet no breeze. He comes with a a tongue of fire that divides and rents from all of them. He empowers all of them Indicates Galileans to speak in languages that they had never learned, so that people from every nation under heaven can hear the gospel in their own language. God comes in power. He comes clearly. He comes. Anybody who understands the Old Testament understands the wind and the fire, the presence of God. And what do these people do? They make fun. They mock because sin has so corrupted us. Affects the way we think. Sin affects the way we perceive reality. Sin affects the way that we interpret creation and we interpret the presence of God. Sin has so corrupted our minds and our thoughts that we fear demonstrations of God's power and God's presence. And what do we do? We just kind of make fun of it. That's what we see in this text. A clear, vivid God's presence and God's power is going to come to them. First and foremost, how are you this morning? Is it you shaking in the wind and looking at God? How are you holding up? Do you have the faith that you can take it to the next level? Maybe you've lost that connection with Him. Salvation is not based on your faith in Him. It's based on Jesus Christ. You can believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father, and that depends not on prayer, that's not on life. Maybe you've lost that connection. You've rejected that connection. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has opened in your heart and your mind to see that it's true that God is working in Christ Jesus to redeem sinful people to Himself. And maybe today you see your helplessness and your hopelessness. You've laughed at the message of Christ, but today it's come alive and clear. Maybe today for you, today would be the day of salvation for you. Where you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you turn around and get your salvation. At the end of this message, Peter says, repent. When you baptize, identify it with Jesus Christ. Repent of those things. Jesus is the only one that can do it. Are you the one? Repent of those things. Turn to Him. Put your trust in Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we begin to become a minister of God. We begin to 
God has a place for every one of you. But one of the works of God in Christ Jesus is that all of this is taken care of. All of this is taken care of. And this amazing, communicated, and wonderful work of grace. To communicate the wonderful work of God, we can say three responses. Some want to know more. Some will not. Some will repent and believe. Jesus is just sharing the wonderful work of God. Jesus is saying, be faithful in that. Be true to Martha and true to your own doctrine. Be faithful to the truth and to God and to his instructions. What are we supposed to do with it, Pastor? Read the 123rd Psalm.